Imagine that you're a state lawmaker. It's November, 2020. For the past six months, you've been inundated with every aspect of the COVID-19 crisis. You're watching case counts rise, unemployment numbers are skyrocketing, and you're seeing small business after small business struggling all across your district. On top of that, you've been trying to work with a state budget that is just full of uncertainties. And come election night, you're now watching the results of a ballot proposition come in that just made your job a lot harder. Voters in your state narrowly passed a ballot measure that would hike income taxes on small businesses and individuals. All of this in the midst of the worst health and economic crisis in over a century. Sounds like a nightmare, right? Well, for one state, this actually happened. What would you do if you were in these lawmakers' shoes? Welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Media Relations Manager here at the Tax Foundation. In this episode, we're looking at income tax reforms that have come out of the 2021 state legislative season. We'll be taking a dive into what states have done and, more importantly, looking at why they did it. To talk about this and more, I'm joined today by Tax Foundation Senior Policy Analyst, Catherine Lawhead. Catherine, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to be here. Yeah. Now, for our listeners who may not follow the world of state tax policy, 2021 has been a pretty remarkable year when it comes to state tax reform particularly on the side of income taxes. Catherine, just how many states have passed income tax reforms in this past legislative season? Well, it has certainly been a remarkable year. As of now, we're up to 11 states that have enacted laws this year alone to reduce their income tax rates. And I expect to see more still to come. You said 11? That seems pretty high. It is an unusually high number, that's for sure. It's actually the biggest wave of individual income tax cuts we've seen in a single year in more than two decades. Hmm. We did see a lot of tax reforms after the federal reforms of 1986, and we saw more state tax reforms around 20 years ago. And Still more in 2017 after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but now we're seeing another wave, and this one is pretty huge. Okay, so why why are states doing this now? 2020 was historic for a lot of ways, many of which I don't even want to think about anymore. What's driving this? Yeah, it's pretty surprising, isn't it? <laughs> this time last year, it's not something anyone would have ever anticipated. Mm-hmm. But before we get into why states are doing this, I think it makes sense to back up and talk about the how, how states got here, because there are a lot of different factors. But one of the main ones is just that most states didn't end up experiencing the types of fiscal crises that most people understandably would have predicted at the outset of the pandemic. In the early days of COVID, most state economists were really pessimistic about the outlook, and that's pretty understandable. We had no idea how long the pandemic would last and whether vaccines would become available. And when you say when you say pessimistic, that just means budget deficits, anything beyond that? Most state economists expected major deficits and they responded by recommending spending cuts. And a lot of state lawmakers reduced spending when it came time to do the fiscal year 2021 budget. But now we're in a whole different position. And one of the biggest reasons for that is just that state revenues didn't decline nearly as much as people expected. You know, there was an initial drop in the early months of the pandemic, but revenues bounced back very quickly. 
some of that was due to the federal aid and that helped, um, you know, unemployment payments and economic impact payments meant that people could keep spending money as they normally would or even more um, than they normally would for some people, even if they had lost their job or were um, concerned about losing their job. But part of the reason state revenues came in so well for that year was the fact that states saw major growth heading up to the pandemic. And so that early part of fiscal year 2020 was really strong in terms of revenue growth. And now states are bouncing back really quickly. It's really interesting. So for this last year with the tax changes, it was on the income side where taxes were being cut. What have those reforms looked like? I remember during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act on the Hill, there was a big push to not only reduce income taxes, but consolidate brackets, you know, make it simpler as well as lower. Were states simply cutting taxes or was there other reforms they were doing on the individual side? Income tax reforms were the major permanent structural reform we've seen so far this year. Now, some of that has been one-time income tax rebates. Um, states like Idaho decided to do kind of their own economic impact payment. California did the same, actually, where they are returning some of this extra revenue to taxpayers in terms of one-time relief. And some states have done some property tax relief and other just smaller measures as well. But income tax reform has been the major theme so far this year. Okay, so you explained kind of how states got here. But why is this important? Well, I think it comes down to a couple of simple reasons that policymakers really wanted to enact income tax reform this year. One of those is just that this is taxpayers' money and they wanted to return it to taxpayers who have been really struggling during the pandemic. So returning it to the businesses that were forced to close and returning it to individuals who have gone through a lot of hardship this year. And so returning that revenue to taxpayers, but doing it in a way that is pro-growth and doing it in a way that improves the structure of their tax code, because it's always a little bit easier to do tax reform in years when you have a little more wiggle room in your budget. That leaves a little more room in case uh, your projections are a little bit off or in case, you know, you don't know exactly how much a reduction or another base broadener will impact the budget. It gives you a little more room to work with so you don't end up in a bind. So a lot of states said, you know, this is the year to do it. We're going to help our economy continue to recover. We're going to help taxpayers recover. And then we're going to grow out of this, not just for the next year or two, but for the long term. So one notable trend among all these states doing tax reform is that a lot of them are looking at not just 2021 and 2022, but they have reforms planned for 2023, 2024, 2025, (laughs) and so forth. And they are really anticipating long-term growth. And a lot of state revenue productions have really reversed course. And they're now not just projecting growth for this year. States are growing of their own right. It's not just the federal relief. That certainly did help in some ways, but states are saying even absent the federal relief, we've been able to grow. We were on a growth trajectory before the pandemic, and that has continued even in spite of the pandemic. And so states are really using this to gain a competitive edge. One notable thing, of course, about the nature of the pandemic was that it really induced a rise in remote work. And many people will have remote work flexibility for the long term. And so states that might normally have a difficult time attracting and retaining residents are going to have an easier time attracting remote workers who may want to be in a lower cost of living part of the country, may want to be closer to family. And so you see Great Plains states and Midwestern states really trying to use this to their advantage and say, we want to be 
known as a tax-friendly state, and we're going to make these reforms now so more people will want to live here. So we talked about the why, we've talked about the how. Let's get a little bit into the what exactly. Uh, We talked a lot about income tax reductions this past season. Were states only cutting income taxes here? Were there other reforms along with those? States made a number of really good reforms along with the rate reductions. So we saw five states consolidate the number of individual income tax brackets they use, and that's a really good reform because it will help make tax codes more neutral, where there will now be less variance among effective rates for different taxpayers. And then we also saw states get rid of some kind of weird provisions they've had on the books for a long time, like the state deduction for federal taxes paid or federal deductibility in Louisiana. That's been a problem for a long time. And they said, now's the year we want to tackle this. Um, It's creating some perverse incentives. It doesn't make sense to have this on the books. We're going to get rid of that. We saw some other states get rid of some extraneous credits that were really making the code more complex and less neutral. We saw a state end its marriage penalty where the brackets are not adjusted for married filers. So a couple who gets married will end up paying a higher effective rate than um, single filers making the same amount of combined income. So a lot of these structural improvements were made in addition to the rate reduction. So it's really been a great year for income tax reform. Was it easy for these states to do that? We talked about at the intro of this episode, Arizona. For those who couldn't guess what state we're talking about, they had to deal with this ballot proposition headed into the session that would have raised taxes for some businesses and individuals. Can you get into that a little bit, specifically with Arizona? And did other states face challenges that were that complex going into tax reform? Yeah. So Arizona was one of the major states to watch this year just because what they were trying to do was very challenging. You know, they were working with a, a ballot measure that was adopted by voters last November. You know, Arizona was the only state where voters went to the ballot and decided to increase state income taxes by a significant margin like this. But that was really problematic to a lot of policymakers in the state who have been working so hard over the past two decades there to try to make Arizona a low-tax alternative to California. And you see in the IRS data and census data that Arizona is almost always one of the top destinations that Californians go to if they're looking to leave California. And so with an 8% rate, all of a sudden, they significantly became a lot less competitive. And so policymakers were trying to work around that and say, you know, we don't think this is the right direction for our state. We want to maintain our competitive advantage. And so they had to work within the confines of what voters had adopted, but they ended up reducing the net income tax increase effect of Prop 208 and creating a system that's more sound and that reduces income tax rates for all income taxpayers while making the state more competitive. So it was certainly a challenge. It was a big uphill battle in Arizona, but the result was successful and I think will yield a lot of benefits for Arizona moving forward. That's a really unique scenario they had to deal with there. Uh, I I know in the past, especially at the state level, people have critiqued cuts. You know, many states come to mind. We don't have to fill in the gaps for people here. What makes this time different? Were states just cutting or is it important to highlight that states were doing more than just cuts here? They were actually reforming their tax codes along the way, too. It certainly is true that anytime major income tax reforms are on the table, over the past 10 years or so, most policymakers who are skeptical of this approach cry, oh, this is like Kansas. This is like the Kansas tax experiment of 2012. 
But really, that's not what we're seeing with the reforms that were adopted this year. What we're seeing now is responsible reform. Many of these reforms were specifically tied to revenue triggers. And so certain cuts might come in immediately, but then others are subject to revenue availability. So the cuts are contingent upon revenue growth meeting certain targets. And that's a very responsible way to go about doing tax reform, especially when there is a period of some amount of economic uncertainty that we are hopefully moving out of. And hopefully this will turn out to be long-term growth. But for policymakers that were a little on the fence or maybe a little nervous about doing something big after a major crisis like the pandemic, that provided a lot of reassurance to them that things aren't just going to unravel and they're not going to end up with a major budget shortfall that they're trying so hard to fill again. You know, this is going to be reforms that are sustainable and that will help the state grow more and attract more investment. And I expect these states will continue to see revenue growth as a result of that. Were these reforms then just call and response from the pandemic or were some of these coming for a long time? So for most of these states, these are reforms that have been on policymakers' bucket lists for a really long time. States like Louisiana are a good example where they knew there were a lot of major problems with their income tax and their sales tax in particular. And they said, this is the time that we want to address these issues. And so they took advantage of this opportunity to make good pro-growth reforms. And even in a state like Louisiana, which didn't see quite as much revenue growth as some of the others, they ended up enacting pretty much revenue neutral reforms. And so even without like a significant surplus, they still were able to do major pro-growth reforms. Now, those in Louisiana are contingent upon voter approval this November. But for a lot of states, these are things that they wanted to do regardless, and they are using this new revenue growth to do that. Now, Catherine, as someone who studies state tax policy for a living. Which were the best reforms of this last year? There is a lot. Which one Which one do you rank at the top if you were to do a ranking system for this? Well, I think Louisiana and Arizona were both high on that list for the reasons we already okay. talked about. But really, all the states that did reforms this year, all of those 11 states really made progress in the right direction. You know, nine of the 10 states that reduced individual income tax rates reduced that top rate too. And that top rate is especially important because that's the rate that people look at. And that's the rate in businesses look at when they're looking at where they want to invest and grow their business. And that's the rate that is most harmful to economic growth. So nine of the 10 states ended up reducing that rate. We saw five states consolidate the number of brackets. We saw others make really good changes to their tax base. And so really all of them deserve credit and all the lawmakers in these states that really worked toward these reforms deserve credit for making good progress. In a lot of these states, this is just the first step. 2021 was the year they could get these changes rolling, but most of these reforms are not done yet. They're things that lawmakers will continue to work on over the next few years. Now, there's more than 11 states out there. Did we see tax increases anywhere this past season? Did any states go in the other direction? You know, there weren't many. We did see a couple, um, some of your usual suspects like New York and California. Okay. New York increased their individual and corporate income tax rates. 
We saw California roll back a lot of the benefits in its corporate tax base. So the net operating loss deduction has been suspended for three years, which is pretty unprecedented. And that will result in major tax increases on business. Illinois also increased business taxes. And then we saw Washington State enact a capital gains tax. But really, those are the three most significant ones that come to mind. We usually see a lot of excise tax increases. That's become kind of commonplace, unfortunately, but there really weren't nearly as many estates that adopted tax increases as adopted reductions. Reductions was really the trend of this legislative session. For those that did do things like California operating loss, others like that, was the intent to fill budget gaps? You you said budgets weren't as drastically different as we thought they would be, or were these just for revenue grabs, or were were there other intents behind those changes? In many respects, this was the result of playing to some people's fears that there was still a revenue crisis, and we're still in trouble here. We may see a, I think it was a $76 billion surplus in California, but we're still concerned. And so, you know, I don't think there's many legs on which these tax increases should stand. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure, and there already has been, to roll back some of these increases because they're only going to hurt taxpayers at a time when they are trying to rehire their employees and get growing and um, being profitable and being successful as they were before the pandemic. What are some other opportunities that states are seeing here as we're coming out of the end of this pandemic? Are there any other tax changes on the horizon you see right now? I do anticipate a lot of the states that acted on reforms this year will want to see those reforms continue. One of the major states that I guess hasn't acted yet, but still could this year, is North Carolina. The Senate has actually passed a budget that would reduce the already pretty competitive uh, flat individual income tax rate. That reduction would phase in over several years, and it would actually phase out the corporate income tax there, which is already the lowest in the nation. Hmm. So that's still very much in the works. The House would have to still pass its version of the budget, and then it's unclear you know, what the governor would be willing to do there. But North Carolina could very well do some amount of substantive reform this year. And then just the states that made progress this year will continue to make progress over the next few years. I think a lot of these states would like to beat up some of the reforms if it turns out that they do have the revenue growth to do so. So that's certainly an option. And now, Catherine, today we're recording this podcast. You had a piece come out today on taxfoundation.org titled States Respond to Strong Fiscal Health with Income Tax Reforms. It's a great, great read, really in-depth look at everything that happened this past legislative season with those 11 states. Um, Highly recommend you guys all go check it out. Um, But what else are you looking at right now? What else are you working on? What can we expect to see from you in the months ahead? Well, now that most state legislative sessions have wrapped up for 2021, We are turning our eyes to 2022 and ready to help states that are looking at building upon the progress they've made this year or for the states that haven't acted yet and want to do reforms similar to the 11 states this year. We are going to be doing a lot of research on finding ways to help the states that have some still pretty problematic tax provisions on the books, finding ways to make those better and finding ways to help all states become more competitive. That's ultimately what will help taxpayers all throughout the country. If 
there's this economic competition for every state wanting to make sure that it makes a name for itself as much as it can as being a great place to live and work and own a business. And so that's what we want to help states work on next. Definitely. Yeah. I live in DC and I have I have family in California and I feel like half our conversation revolves around taxes just naturally, you know, so <laughs> I totally get that. Also, I want to plug this here on our website too. Uh, we have this new landing page that follows kind of what's going on with state taxes this year because it was, as we've talked about, a busy year. So on this landing page, which you can find on taxfoundation.org, you can get quick links to see what's going on in Arizona, what's happening in Louisiana, Wisconsin, Montana, Ohio, and so much more. Catherine, if people want to follow more of your work, how can they follow you on social media? I'd love to connect with you on Twitter. My handle is at K.E. Lawhead. Definitely. And if you guys want to follow me, I'm at Solis Jesse. Feel free to also give the Tax Foundation a follow on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And we'd love to hear what you guys think about the podcast. So feel free to drop us a note at taxfoundation.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Deduction.